podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router, and any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homework company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL roundtable hosted by Kevin DeVries on its own EPL roundtable feed. So just search EPL roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now on with the show. What's good, boys and girls? Two-footed podcast on Thursday, the 16th of February, and we have a new leader in the Premier League. Manchester City are back on top of the table after a 3-1 victory at the Emirates over Arsenal last night. Now, a number of things to say about this game. First and foremost, Arsenal suffered a big blow pre-game. Thomas Partey ruled out through injury. He's also expected to miss the weekend. That could be a massive blow because Arsenal this weekend travelled to the Midlands to take on Aston Villa, who are rejuvenated 
under Unai Emery, who will be massively motivated to take three points off the team who sacked him. And Arsenal don't look the same team without Thomas Partey. Uh, Jorginho doesn't offer the same level of defensive security. He doesn't offer the same pace of play, same physicality. So that is... Going into the game last night, Arsenal made one other change. They started Tommy Asu at right back over Ben White. He is a better right back than Ben White. He did not have a great game last night. Um, but other than that, it was as expected. City lined up with that ridiculous 3-2-4-1 thing where Bernardo Silva is both left back and holding midfielder next to Rodri. Uh, Jack Grealish started left wing over Phil Foden. And to his credit had probably his best game in a Manchester City jersey. Now, City were not good in this game, not by any stretch. This was nowhere near vintage City. This was not City at top form. This was City stuck between second and third gear, struggling to really grind the way through. Arsenal, on the other hand, played fairly well. A lot of the build-up play was quite good, but when they got into the final third, though they did create 10 shooting opportunities, they only got one on target, and that's a little bit of a concern. That was the penalty that they scored with. That's the only shot on target they had in the whole game. City, by contrast, had nine shooting opportunities in the game, six of them on target, and they hit the crossbar and the post. So City were a lot more clinical when they got in. They made Aaron Ramsdale work for his money this week. City went one up through De Bruyne on 24 minutes. It's a ball over the top. Tom comes back to deal with it. Grealish, to his credit, harries him really, really well. And Tommy Asu underhits his pass. De Bruyne slides. That's a great finish. It's a great finish. First time, left-footed, bends it over and round the keeper into there. It's a great finish. Really, really won by Kevin De Bruyne. Arsenal got level on 42 minutes. Ball played through. Ketia gets there first. Gets his shot away. It's cleared off the line. The referee points to a penalty spot, to the penalty spot. You don't really know why. Then you see the replay. As Ederson comes out... He doesn't make an effort to play the ball. He goes to play the man. He makes full contact with Eddie and Kethia. It is a penalty. I understand why people are saying, oh, but you see that happen all the time. Just because other referees have made crap decisions and not awarded penalties in the past does not make this not a penalty. This is a penalty. This should always be a penalty. If a player gets his shot away and then gets clattered, it should be a penalty. Because if a defender clears the ball 40 yards down the pitch and the forward makes contact with him a split second later, it's a free kick every single time. If a midfielder plays a pass and then gets clattered into, it's a free kick every single time. It should be no different in the penalty box. This was a penalty, it was rightly given. Bakayo Saka steps up. And if someone can explain to me what Ederson thinks he's doing, everyone knows where Saka is putting the ball. Everyone, including Ederson, who's pointing. I know you're going to put it there. 
Sasaki puts it there and Ederson dives the other way. Clown. An absolute clown. Um, into the second half, Arsenal were the better team, I thought. And then City made a change. They brought all three Admares. They brought on a Kanji. They went to a proper back four with Aki at left back and Walker at right back. A Kanji and Diaz. Why a Kanji? I don't know. But he has a shot cleared off the line that he really should do better with. And then Grealish makes it 2-1. Nicely worked move. He's the extra man. Ball is slid to him. He comes on, hits it first time. Tommy Asu tries to make a block. It clips the bottom of his leg. And that little deflection causes the ball to bounce down and up over Aaron Ramsdale's hand and into the back of the net. Whether it would have gone in without the deflection, we'll never know. But it's a good finish from Grealish. He gets the credit for the goal. And on we go. Ten minutes later, City are piling on the pressure. Arsenal look ropey at this point. Haaland gets the ball in the middle of the penalty area and somehow is allowed to take a really bad first touch and then stretch for the second touch and finish right-footed into the bottom corner. His first goal in four games, so a bit of a drought for Erling. But City get the 3-1 win. And afterwards, City were quite open. Grealish said it in his interview. He didn't think they played well. Pep said they didn't play well. This was Arsenal's best opportunity. And they blew it. They blew it. So now, Manchester City are top of the Premier League. 51 points. Arsenal also have 51 points. And a game in hand. However, they still have to go to the Etihad. They still have to go to St. James's Park. They still have to go to Anfield. They've got to go to Craven Cottage. They've got Brighton to come at home. They've got a lot of tough games. City, on the other hand, they get Arsenal at home. They get Newcastle at home. They get Liverpool at home. So City are going to be a lot more confident with their running than Arsenal will be in their own. I think this is where we see Arsenal start to have some some wobbles, and I think this is where City start to pull away from them. Arsenal have been very fortunate this season with with the injuries they've picked up. In that, the couple of injuries they've had, Jesus, Zinchenko, Smith Rowe, are all in positions where they've got other quality players. Enketia, Tierney, Martinelli. They don't really have that behind Thomas Partey. Jorginho's a decent player. He is. But he's a completely different type of player to Thomas Partey. That's the one area where they're going to be let down, is if he misses games. If like if Odegaard gets hurt, they've got Fabio Vieira to come in. I think if Xhaka gets hurt, I think that will hurt them as well. Because Vieira is the primary backup there. He doesn't offer the same type of strength, the same type of presence, the same type of defensive awareness as Xhaka. So I would have some concerns there. Um, It would not surprise me if Arsenal finished third. It wouldn't. It wouldn't surprise me if over the rest of the season, United were able to overcome them. Now, I still think City will win the title by 10 points. I've thought that all along. That's still where I stand. But it wouldn't surprise me if Arsenal ended up in third. Um, I just, 
it's very early for this team. There's a lot of inexperience in that squad. There are definitely holes in that squad. And when you when you look at it, like it, is it a Premier League winning team? Is Aaron Ramsdale a Premier League winning goalkeeper? I, I don't think he is. I and White is Premier League winning back. Gabriel, he's been good this season. He's fallen off a bit lately and he's getting more involved in nonsense, pulling and dragging out of people than he should. Very fortunate last night not to have given away a penalty. An offside flag saved him. You know, can you, is Granit Xhaka Premier League winning player? I don't think he is. I just don't think he is. And then with the likes of Odegaard, Saka and Martinelli, it's the first season they've really had to do this. So, you know, They've also got Europa League action coming back. So that's going to start eating into the players' legs as well. And they got very fortunate through the first half of the season when they played a number of teams who otherwise you might have expected to beat them, but City got them at like the ideal point in the season. Arsenal got them at the exact right point in the season, I should say. I think City win the league by 10 points from here. That's that's what I'll say. <clears throat> we had Champions League action last night. Uh, Club Bruges nil, Benfica 2. João Mario from on 51 and Dan Neres on 88, wrapping up a comfortable enough win for the Portuguese side. Scotty two coats on his Champions League managerial debut, uh, beaten at home. He played Dennis Adoy in midfield. He deserved to lose. Simple as that. Dennis Adoy, formerly failing drastically in the Premier League as a right-back and centre-back, playing in midfield. What do you expect is going to happen? Uh, congrats to Benfica. They're a lot, an awful lot of fun to watch. The other game then, Chelsea... Away to Dortmund, and Dortmund winning 1-0. Kareem Adeyemi on 63 minutes. A counter-attacking goal, all of his own work. Chelsea corner, ball into the box, pings around, breaks to Adeyemi, and he just runs. And for some reason, despite the fact that it's 0-0 in the first leg, away from home, Champions League, Half an hour left. Chelsea only have one player back on this corner. And that player is Enzo Fernandez. Now, Enzo Fernandez is brilliant at pretty much everything. But he's not the quickest player in the world. Pace is not something you'd associate with Enzo Fernandez. Kareem Adeyemi, on the other hand, is one of the quickest players in Europe. So unsurprisingly, Adeyemi burns past him, goes around Kepa, and finishes. I saw some people suggest, oh, well, Enzo should have taken him down. If Enzo touches him at any point, it's a red card because there's no covering defender. It doesn't matter if he fouls him in the Dortmund half, on halfway, in his own half, on the edge of his own. But it's it's a red card. At any point, it's a red card. It is denial of a clear goal-scoring opportunity if he touches him and brings him down. So I'm not really sure what people wanted him to do. I would ask why he was left there by himself. 
I that is what I would wonder. See, for me, if my team were taking corner and I had Enzo, I'd want Enzo on the edge of the box to pick up any scraps, either to recycle the ball or potentially get a shot away. And, you know, looking at that Chelsea team, I'd be inclined to leave a fullback a bit deeper. Now, at this point, Chelsea hadn't made changes yet, had they? Um, No, they hadn't made any changes yet. So, on the pitch, they had... Ben Chilwell. I'd have been leaving him. Now you send Koulibaly and Silva. Fair enough. Reese James up there. That's, you know, fair enough. You've got Zayic and Felix and Havertz. They're goal scorers. I would have left Chilwell and Mudrick back on halfway. Chilwell because he's a defender. He's got pace. Because he's got pace. Mudrick had another poor game last night. That is three poor performances in a row. Any right-back not named James Milner under the age of 36 has dealt with him fairly comfortably. Chelsea don't seem to really know what they have or how to use him, and it kind of goes to show that maybe you shouldn't buy players just because a rival was going to buy them. But for Arsenal, I would say, I think you might have had a decent escape there. Now, he's definitely a better player than we're seeing, but he's not a £90 million winger. That is our Champions League action from last night. Next week, we have Liverpool-Real Madrid, Eintracht-Frankfurt-Napoli on the Tuesday. RB Leipzig-Manchester City and Inter Milan-FC Porto on the Wednesday. Um, We also had some championship action last night. Swansea 2, Blackpool 1. Good home win for Swansea. Uh, Arsenal loanee Charlie Patino sent off in that one. Preston won, Luton won. Uh, Troy Parrott scoring for Preston. Preston also had a man sent off in that one, and they came from behind with 10 men to get a draw. Stoke 3, Huddersfield 0. Uh, Fig- Phil Jagielka, still going strong, scored the first there. Uh, William Boyle sent off for Huddersfield when they were 1-0 down. And uh, obviously then they go on and concede two more. Bristol City won. Wigan Athletic won. West Brom won. Blackburn Rovers won. Ben Breert and Diaz with a last-minute equaliser after Jason Malumbi had scored for West Brom. So two Irish lads scoring in the championship last night. Things you love to see. In the big one, Sheffield United won. Middlesbrough three. Ollie McBurney put Sheffield United one up on five minutes. Chupa Akbom equalised on 25. And then the man they got on loan in January to to, uh, give them a bit more oomph up front, Cameron Archer, the player Stephen Gerrard refused to answer questions about when manager of Aston Villa... He scores on 48 and again on 74. Massive, massive win for Middlesbrough. Now, it closes the gap on Sheffield United to seven points, but Sheffield United do have a game in hand. You would still, Burnley are going to win the league. You would still fancy Sheffield United very much to get second and go up automatically with them. 
But Borough are in outstanding form. Outstanding form. And the job that Michael Carrick is incredible. They score goals. They don't concede many. I know they've conceded 37 on the season, but have a look at the defensive record before and after. Luton are now fourth, Sunderland fifth, Watford sixth, Millwall seventh, Blackburn eighth, Norwich ninth, West Brom tenth. And I would say any of Millwall, Blackburn, Norwich and West Brom could very easily find themselves in the playoffs come the end of the season. I also think Coventry could potentially make a surge. I mean, they're only five points behind Watford. Swansea, same situation, five points behind Watford. Uh, even Hull, Preston, Reading, they're only six points behind Watford. So loads and loads to play for in the championship, even though it does look like the top two will remain the top two. Uh, at the foot of the table, Blackpool are bottom, Huddersfield second, Wigan third. Uh, all of them could have done with better results last night. All of them could do with keeping their 11 players on the pitch Uh Blackpool and Huddersfield. Stop having your players get themselves sent off. Uh, We have lots of football tonight. We have eight games in the Europa League and we have eight games in the Europa Conference League. So, Europa League first. These are the games between teams who finished second in the Europa League groups and the teams who finished third in their Champions League groups and are dropping in. So we've got four Europa League games at 5.45. RB Salzburg versus Roma. Barcelona versus Manchester United in what is the glamour tie of the night. Ajax versus Union Berlin. Shakhtar Donetsk versus Rennes. That one would have been a lot more fun if Mudrik was still at Shakhtar, but it should still be a decent game. Ajax versus Union will be a good game. It's two teams that want to play football. Salzburg versus Roma is interesting if you want to watch Salzburg and see some of the young talent they have there who your club might end up looking at a move for in the coming few months as we we move towards the summer transfer window. And then Barca versus United is obviously the big one. And there's been some belting Barcelona-Manchester United games over the years. And hopefully this turns out to be another one of those. Um, We have then at 8pm versus PSV. But Sevilla have properly rectified their season. Could be good. Sporting versus Mitteljand. That one should be good. Be good football. Sporting are always an interesting watch. Juventus is not a season was turned on its head by the big scandal by the 15 point deduction this is their only to football next season is winning the Europa League so they've got to be all in on this and then Leverkusen versus Monaco Leverkusen have completely turned the season around for Alonso Monaco are having a decent season in Ligue 1 you had Monaco beating Paris Saint-Germain at the weekend, so they'll be in confident form. I think all eight of those are decent games in the making. All eight of them would warrant your your watching. I, I assume most people 
will watch Barca versus United and then maybe Leverkusen Monaco if they're going to watch two games. Um, certainly Barca versus United is the, is the marquee one, but I do think there's a number of really interesting games there. Um, so that's the first leg of those ties. The second leg will be next Thursday, uh, and those should also be fun based on what we see tonight. Moving on, Europa Conference League. Again, four games at 5.45, four games at 8 p.m. The 5.45 games. These are these are games between teams that finish third in their Europa League groups and second in their Conference League groups. Quarabeg versus Ghent uh, should be should be interesting. Braga versus Fiorentina, I think, is the tie of the round. I think that's a really good game. Braga, third in Portugal right now, playing some really good football. And Fiorentina, just an interesting watch because they've got a couple of really good players. Uh, Trabzonspor versus Basel and Bodo Glimt versus Lech Poznan. Those are the the 5.45 games. Our 8 o'clock games then, Sheriff Tiraspol against Partizan Belgrade, AEK Larnica versus Dnipro, Ludogorets versus Anderlecht, and Lazio versus CF or Cluj. Uh, Lazio are always worth a watch because of Sarri, because of Luis Alberto, because of Sergei Malinkovic-Savage, because of Chiro Mobile. Um, could be worth your while. But unfortunately, I think those games are going to get outshone by what's on in the Europa League tonight. Certainly, like, Braga-Fiorentina, like I said, is the the tie of the round. If it was the 8pm game, I'd probably watch it tonight. But it's on at the same time as United against Barcelona. So what do you want me to do? Um, lots of good games, though. 16 games for you to pick from. No shortage of, of interest in a lot of these games. Even just like Trabzonsport versus Basel, there's always going to be one or two interesting players in that one. Bodo Glimt are an interesting tactical watch. You can see what Kettle Nutson's all about. Lazio are fun. Braga are fun. Fiorentina are decent to watch. Yeah, good round of games there. Good round of games in the Europa League. And that's what we've got tonight. Now, we'll take a break. When we come back, it is listeners' questions and the gossip. And that will be us for today. So I will see you in a sec. Right, welcome back. So, listeners' questions. What have we got for today? Okay. Uh, Adam GBN may have already covered this before, but would like to see even for a few games until Diaz gets fully fit. A 3-4-1-2 for Liverpool. Gomez, Canate and Virgil van Dijk is the back three. Trent, Besetic, one of Thiago, Naby Keita and Fabinho, and Andy Robertson across the middle. Gakpo or Jota behind Nunes or Salah. I would rather Gakpo than Jota uh, in that role. Um, The midfield is fine, though I wouldn't necessarily say Besetic is the nailed-on starter of that four. I'd, I'd think a bit more respect for the the more senior players, but certainly he'd be strongly in the mix. I'd be in favour of it. I'd like to see it. I think it suits all the players you 
Now, the one question is with Virgil defending space, how does that work? But he certainly would be best on the left of that back three if you're playing Kanate as well, because I think Kanate is best suited to the middle of a back three. Um, yeah, I- I'd love to see that. I- I'd be very interested to see how it would work. Like you said, just for a couple of games until Diaz comes back. And even when Diaz is back, you just leave out Gakpo and you go 3-4-3, three, three, Salah, Nunes and Diaz, if if the rest is functioning well. I'd be very much in favour of this. Um, Isaac Gilding, for Thursday's pod, what do you make of this? So he's attached a clip from the Villa podcast. And if you don't listen to the Villa podcast, you are missing out. Um, These two boys, Conan and Liam, are just, they're brilliant. Conan is very much the straight man. And Liam, Liam is psychotic. Um, and he, but he, but he makes a lot of really good points, and he goes on a very, I think, well pointed rant here about Pep. Pep Guardiola is coming out to bat for Man City because he knows his legacy is in question here, and I do think it is a little bit because Pep, for Pep's legacy, he can't really be. He can't really be linked to that level of cheating. And he knows that's going on. He knows it's going on. He knows it's going on because his contract says he gets paid 12 million a year and his bank account says he gets paid 50 million a year. That's how Pep knows this has gone on. But Liam calls into question his time at Bayern. And I've done this in the past as well. If you don't win a Champions League at Bayern, I don't want to hear about it. Everybody wins the league there. Everybody wins the cup there. If you don't win the Champions League... You've failed at Bayern Munich. The only two successful Bayern Munich managers in the last 15 years are Jupp Heynckes and Hansi Flick. And that's it. Because everybody else won the league. Carlo won the league. Kovac won the league. They sacked both of them. Kovac won the double. They sacked him. Winning the double at Bayern is not impressive. (laughs) If we look at the Bundesliga... In recent years. And we look at the teams that have won said Bundesliga in recent years. It's just, it's just Bayern, Bayern, Bayern. They have won 10 in a row. They won a treble before Pep arrived. He didn't bring winning to the club. They've won the league every season since he left. So the the winning didn't stop with him. Now, it was different. The the Bundesliga was different before that. Dortmund won it twice. Bayern won it. Wolfsburg won it. I'm going backwards in time here. So starting at 2011-12 and working back, Dortmund, Dortmund, Bayern, Wolfsburg, Bayern, Stuttgart, Bayern, Bayern, Werder Bremen, Bayern, Dortmund, three in a row for Bayern, Kaiserslautern, Bayern, back-to-back for Dortmund, Bayern, Werder Bremen, Stuttgart, Kaiserslautern. So in the 
What's that? Two years? 23 seasons? 23 seasons? Between 1990 and 2012, but won one, two, three, four, five, eight, nine, ten league titles. And they've won the league title every season. So they went from basically winning every second year to every single year. And even you go back, like in the 80s, for example, they won they won it six times. But they only won it six times. In the 70s, they won it three times. With each passing decade, Bayern become more and more and more dominant. In the 70s, they win it three times. In the 80s, they win it six times. In the 90s, one, two, three. To be fair, only only four times. The 2000s, they get stronger. They win it six times. And then they've just run away with it every single season. And no one gets really close to them. And they're going to win it again this year. Winning the league at Bayern now doesn't impress anyone. And it shouldn't impress anybody. And yes, Pep might have done it playing a fancier style of football and that some task, what else? But it's not all that impressive. Even the cup isn't all that impressive with Bayern anymore. They don't win it every year, but they win it, you know, since 2001, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 times. Since 2000. So once every, they win it every second year. They've won five doubles in the last decade. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. Unless you win the Champions League with Bayern, I'm not overly impressed. Hitzfeld, Heinkes, Flick. Those three stand above Pep in terms of legacy at Bayern. There's no doubting Pep's an incredible manager. Nobody can take that away from him. But the Bayern situation, it doesn't impress anybody. And it may well be that he leaves Manchester City with no league titles because they've all been taken off. He might have won five and had them all taken off. So it it does. His legacy is on the line here. Because then you're going all the way back to to Barca. Where he did create one of the greatest club sides of all time. But he got really fortunate. Really, really fortunate. That a kid from Argentina just happened to come along a couple of years before he got there. And another kid called Iniesta was really, really special as well. And another kid called Busquets was really, really special as well. I don't know. I don't know. It'd be interesting to see what happens with Pep over the next 10 years. It really will. But Liam's rant is brilliant. If you haven't heard it, make sure you do. It's it's one of it's one of the old timers. 
Right. Matt JT, if you had to rank from most responsible to least responsible for this season's struggles, how would you rank them? Klopp, FSG, Pep, the players and the departments. Um, I would say Klopp 1, FSG 2, players 3, medical department 4, Linda's five, recruitment department six. I think that's how I would rank them. Um, Linda's above the recruitment department because Linda's has convinced Klopp to turn down a couple of players that would have massively helped this season. So I would say recruitment department last, then Linda's, because Linda's can only do what what Klopp allows him to do. Um... Medical department, I, I don't think they've... Look, it's very hard because it's a tough job. But I, I don't know that maybe... It, it may well be that they're giving Klopp all the right advice and he's ignoring it. But I think they need to take more more charge on player, recruit, player recovery, not just from injuries, but just from games. Um. The players themselves need to take responsibility as well. There's unacceptable levels of effort. See, the thing for me is I can accept players playing badly. I can't accept the lack of effort. My biggest gripe with Liverpool's captain is how lazy he is defensively. I don't care that he's a bad defender. He's been a bad defensive player all his career. But the lack of effort in the last three years is what is what really gets me. Forgetting the, the technical flaws and, and all of that and the, the lack of, you know, real footballing intelligence. The lack of effort in the last couple of years is what really grinds my gears with him. Um, but others others as well. Others have not put in this, the required level of effort. You can watch a bad team. Like, I, I watch a lot of football, and I watch a lot of bad teams play. But it's rare you see a team, especially a struggling team, not put in effort week after week. Liverpool's issues against the Brentford and Brighton and Wolves wasn't necessarily a technical level or even a tactical level. It was an effort level. Um, FSG, just cheap, always trying to cut corners. They deserve huge amounts of criticism. But the season ultimately falls on Klopp. This is Klopp's fault. Regardless of where the tactical plan came from, he's the one implementing it. The players are not performing. That's on him. Players aren't motivated. That's on him. Players aren't getting the message. That's on him. Recruitment is on him. Medical side, not taking the advice. That's on him. Not demanding enough of the owners. That's on him. This season is his fault. And that's not me saying it in hindsight. I said it in August. I said it in August. This season's failings would would sit firmly at the feet of Jurgen Klopp. Question for the pod. Pick your winners from the NBA All-Star event. Skills Challenge, three-point competition, and the dunk contest. Also, how do we get better dunkers to compete in the dunk competition? That I don't know. That I don't know. I, I Like, is, is strange. I think I, I his ego is what stopped him from doing it. The fear of losing. 
and the embarrassment that that would would cause uh, Mr. James. In terms of the skill challenge, we'll start there. We've got Team Rooks, which is Carol, who's Jamie, who I really like, and Jabari Smith, who's having a tough enough time in Houston because the team is dreadful around him. You've got Team Jazz, because Utah are hosting, they get a team in here. Jordan Clarkson, Kessler. Oh, I have so much Walker Kessler regret. And Colin Sexton. And then you have Team Antetokounmpo, Giannis, Alex, and Tanasis. Giannis and Alex, obviously, of the Giannis and Tanasis of the Bucks. And Alex plays for the Wisconsin Herd, who are the G League affiliate. Um, the Milwaukee Bucks doing everything they can to keep Giannis as happy as possible, and rightly so. Uh, who will win? I think the rookies will win this. I do. I think the rookies will win this. Because I think they've got the best the best blend. I'm going to go for the rookies. Three-point contest. Tyrese Halliburton. Buddy Heald. Dame. Anthony Simons. Larry Markinen. I have some Larry as well. Jason Tatum, Kevin Hurd, and Tyler Hero. Um, Dame is the best in-game shooter of the three. But this is a very different type of competition. I think Kevin Herter is the is the one I would go with here. I'm going to go for him. Kevin Herter of the Sacramento Kings, formerly of the Atlanta Hawks. I'm going to go for him to win that. And then the dunk contest. Uh, Trey Murphy III, Kenyon Martin Jr., Jericho Sims, and Mac McClung. Now, Mac McClung has largely been a G League player his entire career. Uh, he signed a two-way contract with the Philadelphia 76ers on the 14th of this month. Prior to that, he'd spent the season in the G League with the Devils. He was invited to the, to the dunk competition before signing his NBA contract. He is a 6'2 point guard who's been in the G League. Never quite managed to make it work at the NBA level. Not had... Not had opportunity, it must be said. He's played two games. Um, but he signed on with a couple of different teams and not quite done enough to improve. Who wins it? I In the dumb contest, I don't know why. I'm a bit of a snob. Um, Kenyon Martin Jr., I, I feel like, is one of the more spectacular in-game dunkers in the NBA. I do like Trey Murphy. I like his game. I'll go Kenyon Martin Jr. Because that kid, he's he's a decent player. He very much thinks very highly of himself. 
And I think he'll back himself in this in this contest. The one thing I always look at, if you're a wing who can get a lot of rebounds, I'm going to back you to be a really special type of dunker who can get really good airtime. And he's had 15 rebounds in a game uh, this season. So I'm going to go for him. I'm going to go Kenyon Martin Jr. I also liked his dad's game, Kenyon Martin Sr. Liked his game back in the day for both New Jersey and for Denver. Um, So I'm going to go Kenyon Martin Jr. As for how we get better, like bigger names in the dunk contest. I mean, I've seen some people say, oh, we put up a million dollars. Now, the problem with that is a million dollars to LeBron is pocket change. A million dollars to to Ja Morant is pocket change now that he's got the Supermax coming. So I don't know. Like, I don't know what the what the real answer is here. Can you find some sponsor willing to put up, you know, five million for the the rights to to sponsor the dunk contest and maybe sponsor, you know, more than that? I, I don't know. I think it would take something like five million. I think five million is is a kind of number where players start to get interested, but then you're still, you're going to get silliness. Yeah. But the fact that there's only, what annoys me isn't so much that there's no, that, that the big names aren't in it. Cause you know, it's often the big names are not the best dunkers in the league. Why is there only four people in it? There needs to be at least six, ideally eight in the dunk contest. There doesn't need to be eight in the three point contest. Six would be enough. Even go six and six. That would be better. That would be better. But for my winners, Team Rooks, Kevin Herter, Kenyon Martin Jr. Uh, Last question then, I think, comes from... No, two more. Sorry. One from Rick M. How highly do you rate Vincent Company as a manager? And what level of club could he be at in the next few years. Well, he could be at Man City in a few years if they get relegated. Um, the Championship. So they, they are well clear in the Championship and they're they're playing very, very well. They're on track for a 100-point season, which is, which is a good return. But I will point out that last season, not, sorry, not last season, two seasons ago, Norwich finished on 97 points. That was the second time they'd run through the championship. And Daniel Farker looked a great manager at that level. And he struggled at the Premier League level. So I do think there's there's some caution needed. Like Nuno got 99 points with Wolves. He was he was good in the Premier League, but he wasn't an elite level manager. Whereas you would have thought, based on what he did in the championship, that he might have been. You know, we've seen Newcastle come up under Rafa. Rafa's ideas are clearly outdated at the Premier League level. So I would just urge a little bit of caution on company. He's had he's done a great job. The, the, the way he turned that squad over in one summer 
was very, very impressive. They play good football. They've got a strong defence. They're very good going forward. They're a lot of fun to watch. But I would just urge a little bit of caution because it's going to be a different beast next season in the Premier League. Burnley are not a small club in the Championship. Burnley can hold their own in the Championship financially. But when you bring a Championship budget to the Premier League table, that's where we we find out a bit more about you. So we'll wait and see. Company didn't impress anybody at Anderlecht. That did not go well. So I, I think we just need to wait and see. I hope that this is real, that what we're seeing is real, and that he, he goes on to become a good manager, because I did always like him as a player. But, um, yeah, we, we'll have to wait and see. Like I said, City might get relegated, so maybe he goes there. Uh, last question, then, is from Alex. Can you make an eleven? of players who played the majority of their career in English football but have less than 50 Premier League or First Division appearances. These should be players that had long-term success in the lower leagues, not young players or players who lost out due to injuries. Oh, that's a good one. Um, so basically, that were, you know, long-time stalwarts in the lower leagues and just didn't do it at the Premier League level. I'm going to have to put time and thought into this. So the first name that came to mind was Marcus Stewart. Marcus Stewart was a tremendous striker for Bristol, for Huddersfield, in the lower leagues. Widely seen as the best player outside the Premier League. But I think he had like four seasons in the Premier League and probably played over 100 games. Never quite hit the level, hoped for him at the Premier League level and and dropped back down. Uh, Another one would be David Hurst, who for a long time was seen as the best player outside of the... Was it David Hurst? It was David Hurst, wasn't it? I'm almost certain it was David Hurst seen as the best player outside the Premier League for a long time. Um... I'll have to think about this. I, I won't get this done today. I will come back to this, though, Alex, and I will get this one done. That is a good question. So I will come back to that one. Uh, we will go to the gossip and get ourselves wrapped up. Oh, FA are investigating objects thrown at Kevin De Bruyne. Walking off the pitch last night, having been substituted, Arsenal fans were throwing bottles and stuff at them, which isn't ideal. Castle sent, or sorry, Leeds have extended Luke Ayling's contract until the summer of 2024. Arteta has more belief Arsenal can win the title. He looked like he was spoofing. He looked like he was talking out of his backside last night. Um, Antonio Conte to miss the London Derby against West Ham as he continues to recover from surgery to remove his gallbladder. Um, he was at the Leicester game. He was there. He didn't look right. And uh, he couldn't even do the post-match. So I would say he needs to spend a bit more time 
at home recovering from what went on with that surgery. Uh, here we go. Chelsea Todd Bowley has met Paris Saint-Germain Azir Al-Khalifi to discuss a possible summer transfer for Neymar. Now, normally I would call spoofing, but it's Todd Bowley, so it's probably true. Argentina forward Lionel Messi, whose PSG contract runs out in the summer, is unsure about signing signing an extension, which could open a move to the sorry, open the door for a move to MLS side into Miami. Arsenal are monitoring the situation of Marcus Rashford. There is zero chance he goes to Arsenal. Arsenal boss Mikel Arteta has asked the club to sign Martin Zubimendi from Real Sociedad. He would be a very good signing. He's a very good player. Arsenal and Manchester United are interested in Denzel Dumfries. I think Arsenal have two right, well, our right back and Tommy Asu, who's better. Ben White, I would rather have as well, just for how they play. I think Ben White suits better. Um, Diogo Delo's having an excellent season, but Dumfries, I suppose, would make more sense for United. Barcelona boss Xavi wants Frankie, oh, sorry, says Frankie De Jong did not want to join Manchester United last summer. I think everybody knew that. Barcelona have agreed a deal to sign Mexican right back Julian Arejo on on a four year contract, sorry, three year contract till June 2023. Three and a half year contract, I suppose it will be. Uh, that deal should have got done in January. It fell through because they couldn't get paperwork done in time. So I assume he'll join in the summer. Um, he looks talented. That's about all I can say on that one. Um, oh, he's arriving on Thursday to begin training. So they'll just have him for six months as a free hit. They just can't register him until next season. Fair enough. Bayern Munich have carried out internal analysis that identified Harry Kane as the ideal striker for the clubs. I mean, this is just garbage. That's just that's just garbage. They didn't carry out any internal analysis. They just went, who's the best striker that we could possibly get? Haaland? No, he's unavailable. Mbappe? Oh, too expensive. Benzema? He's too old. Lewandowski? No, we had him. Simeon? Too expensive. Kane? Yeah, that'll work. There we go. Um, I'm not saying those strikers are better than Kane. I'm just saying they're the other names that would come up. Tottenham are interested in... 21-year-old Ecuador defender Piero Incapié from Bayer Leverkusen. He is very, very good. But he also just signed a new contract, so he's going nowhere. Um, Aston Villa could listen to offers for Emiliano Martinez in order to help the club's summer rebuild. If I was Spurs and I'm desperate for a new goalkeeper, I'd probably look at him. Portugal defender João Canseo says rumours of a falling out with Pep Guardiola before his loan move to Bayern Munich are a complete lie. Sam Lee, he's calling you out and saying that you are, in fact, a spoofer. Maurizio Pochettino could replace Antonio Conte at Tottenham. I assume that's what's going to happen in the summer. I assume Conte leaves in the summer and Pochettino comes back. Chelsea, Liverpool, Manchester City, Manchester United and Newcastle have all made contact with Ecuadorian club Independiente de la Valle over 15-year-old midfielder Kendry Paez. Now, we know Hincapié. We know Caicedo. They're the two big Ecuadorian talents. Both of them came from Independiente de la Valle. This kid is more highly regarded than either of those were. It won't just be those 
five clubs that have been mentioned, you'll have everybody knocking on that door. Brighton, Brentford, Benfica, Porto, Sporting, Barcelona, Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid, Sevilla, Borussia Dortmund, Bayern. All the smart clubs, Ren, all the smart clubs will be trying to sign him. Ajax, all of them. All of them. He, from the the clips I've seen on Scout, which admittedly it's like under 16, under 18 games, he does look really, really gifted. So, yeah, keep an eye on his name. Kendry Paez, P-A-E-Z, P-A-E-Z. That'll do me for today, folks. Thank you, as always, for listening. Hope you've enjoyed, and I will see you all tomorrow. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. Network.